Hey, welcome back to the staff meeting Devo portion of our podcast. Today, Pastor Tom shares the word with us during our staff meeting. We hope that you enjoy it. Check it out. Well, we are going to be concluding the, I guess you could say, mini kind of series that uh, I've been sharing here at the staff meetings. We've looked at three builders, uh, and this is the fourth one that we're going to be looking at today. And it's all kind of started that when we reopened from shutdown, um, there were some people that really stood out as people that were ready to go, ready to do anything, whatever we needed. Um, there were new positions that needed to be done. There were uh, different ministries that were shut down. And so people were jumping in somewhere, even though their typical area of ministry wasn't uh, operating at that point and all these kind of things. And there were just people that were willing to do whatever needed to be done to make sure church could move ahead. And I quickly started calling those people builders as we were sort of talking, as people's names came up and as we were talking about things. And that expression has kind of stuck with me as we're kind of thinking through the different volunteers and different leaders and uh, different ways that we're working in the church. This idea of somebody being a builder. You know, we're all active. We're all busy. We're all focused. And if you, every once in a while, you look up and you see that there are other builders that have locked arms and are on the same mission with us. And so our job as a staff and as leaders is to give the builders everything they need to do a great job. The second part of our job and our responsibility is to help people who aren't builders become the most passionate, uh, passionate builders imaginable. So as we've kind of thought about this and looked at some builders from the Bible, we looked at Noah, who of course built the ark, Moses, who would build the tabernacle, and then Solomon, who built the temple. And today is going to be the last time we look at this in this kind of mini sermon uh, series or talk series, however you phrase it. But one look at Nehemiah. I want to read this passage to you from Nehemiah. Uh, But Nehemiah, he was in exile, and he returned to Jerusalem only to find that the city was in disrepair. Um, The temple wasn't operating. The temple was in ruins. The walls of the city had come down. And so Nehemiah made it his business to get the rebuilding happening. Um, And part of that rebuilding, and a significant part, and partly what uh, Nehemiah is well known for, is rebuilding of a wall that went around Jerusalem. That was the security. That was what gave the, uh, the, the city the ability to defend itself and consequently to prosper to do well. So Nehemiah took that responsibility on. And we're going to read a couple of verses in Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 16. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeteer stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the trumpet blast, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our Lord God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. Now, there's specific situation that means that the men have to be on guard, that they can't just go about the business of building the wall. There were attacks coming. There were devious people. There were enemies. There were attacks that were coming. And so they needed to be prepared to go into a fight. And which is why you hear Nehemiah saying that the part of the time, half the men, they were defending. They were fighting. They were standing guard. The people that were building, they had a sword strapped to their side. The people that were propping up the walls, they also had something ready to go in case it kicked off. Now, this is timely, and I want to sort of look at this for us. Um, Currently, Megan and I are watching the after effects of leaders, church people, um, friends that we've served with that ministry is just crumbling all around them. 
There are people that we've locked arms with, people we've known well, people that we've loved and served with, people that we've known from a distance, people that we've kind of sort of crossed paths with, that we're seeing the after effects happening of ministry crumbling due to moral failure. So here, I want to look at this idea of Nehemiah with the idea of there being a dual focus that Nehemiah had, build the wall and be on guard. Build the wall and be on guard. Over our time in ministry, Meg and I have seen a number of severe moral failings up close. One church we went to, we were able to go and serve on a part of that church because a pastoral position had opened up due to a moral failing. And so we got there as the church was still very fresh in recovering from seeing a former pastor go through a moral failing. And I can definitely say that um, a massive red flag that you can see in the build-up to a moral failing is that there is somebody that is completely and utterly consumed with building the wall and not with being on guard. Now, the wall is what Nehemiah is called to. A wall is a good, godly, God-honoring vision, mission that he's a part of. But if Nehemiah was all consumed with it, he would have been destroyed. And I think that that is a helpful picture, and this is a helpful example from the Scripture to us, is that if we are all consumed with what we are called to, and we don't give mind to being on guard, we are opening ourselves up for us to be consumed and taken out. But the instruction that Nehemiah is giving to people, the, the requirements that he's making of the people that are helping him build the wall, is that we cannot just be consumed with our calling. We need to be on guard because we don't want to be taken out. We don't want all this building to be for nothing because all we're consumed with is the building. We need to also be on guard. And I tried to think about an example of what it would look like if someone was completely consumed with being on guard and gave no regard for the building. And I could not think of a single example where I've seen this in the church. Where the only concern of a church leader was being on guard. And I got to thinking, I was sort of praying and getting ready for this, and I sort of resonated, I was like, I really have not seen, I cannot think of somebody that they are just consumed with being on guard and they don't give any concern. And it occurred to me that there's no pressure to be on guard. The pressure is on the building. Consequently, having the balance tip in the wrong direction the other way of just being consumed with being on guard, that doesn't work. Church boards don't allow pastors like that to stay on staff. But the pressure rests on you having imbalance the other way and being consumed with the building and the building. The pressure isn't felt in being on guard. The pressure is felt on building the wall. For Nehemiah, being on guard was literal. There was an enemy that was going to physically attack them. For us and ministers around the world, being on guard is a lower priority because the pressure to build great ministries is stronger than the pressure to be on guard and protect our character, integrity, honor, and relationship with God. Now, the threat of attack is still very real, but it may not be against flesh and blood. It's amazing how often church leaders can subtly allow the church and ministry to become selfish and self-serving. Good people who want to show honor and appreciation to pastors and leaders. And it takes a deep quality of character to not let that go to a church leader's head. In a very short period of time, the special honor people want to show their leaders and their pastors can become an expectation of the pastors. I deserve this. I deserve to be held in high esteem. I deserve to be put first. I deserve for this lavish honor to be bestowed upon me. As I've shared with each of you, 
I prefer people just call me Tom rather than Pastor Tom. I feel like a title puts a gap between pulpit and pew that doesn't need to be there. But I've heard from friends that are in church admin from other churches that if someone from the congregation dare calls their lead pastor just by their first name, it is part of their job responsibility to address the church member and correct them. No, they have to be referred to pastor so-and-so. Why on earth does this matter? Why on earth are pastors putting their admin staff in an awkward position of dressing down a church member because they dare call them by the name their mama gave them? But if the church is there to be self-serving, if we fail to be on guard, and the church has become about me and my ego and boosting me and putting me on a pedestal and feeding my insecurities, these kinds of stupidity just finds itself a foothold and creeps on in. Meg and I have heard stories very recently about people mishandling church finances for personal expenses and on things that have no justifiable connection to ministry. Things that are certainly not what people have faithfully been tithing for. This is not what church members who are sacrificing and tithing faithfully, this is not what they're expecting and not what they're told their money is being spent on and yet people are starting off by bending the rules, fudging the line, getting comfortable in the gray, and it's a short matter of time until they are just being completely dishonest and completely reckless with church funds. Just yesterday, Meg and I were listening to a pastor preaching together, and we have never been a part of this church. It's not a church that we're connected to, but he was talking about how his church has to be completely restructured because their eldership setup has gone completely awry. And, in, and things that need to be addressed and need to be brought to light and need to be disciplined have been left to just fester. And the, so this pastor is going through the very, very long, arduous process of completely restructuring their church to make sure that health can find its place back in the church again. And of course, there's the extramarital affairs, the instant credibility destroyer, an action that always has massive repercussions, devastates many, especially in a church context. When I read about Nehemiah building, he was building something good. And I think about all the people I've known, ministered with, that have been building something good. But unlike Nehemiah, they haven't been on guard. And it's kind of like the, the proverb says that a person's gift will make room for them. If we operate in our God-given giftings, it will help us build the wall. It will get us a platform. Paul writes that the gift is subject to the prophet. Paul also warns us that people preaching with selfish ambition may actually be effective. The proof is not in the ability to build the wall. It just shows that you have a gift from God and God can use people. God will use people in an absolute mess, but if we are not on God, it can all be very, very quickly in vain. We've seen time and time again, you have your own stories, just like I have my stories, where good things, good walls have been taken down in a moment because somebody was not on guard. So with all this in mind, I wanna consider three things from Nehemiah, three things that I think we can keep in mind. The first thing is sacrifice half of the labor. Sacrifice half of the labor. You've heard me say now, I know I've mentioned this in a, at least two different sermons, maybe more, but the idea of sacrifice is not giving something up, it is, putting, it is giving up something good with the belief that it is going to lead to something better. When we sacrifice financially, it is not wasting money. It is giving up financially today, believing greater is on the other side. We don't sacrifice and waste time by getting up early to go to the gym. We sacrifice sleep because we believe that the health we get from the gym is better. Sacrifice is not a waste. When we sacrifice half the labor, it may slow down the building of the wall. 
Verse 16, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And then verse, uh, down to verse 21, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. These people could have been building. These people could have got busy. They slowed down progress to make sure they're on guard, ready to fight. Sacrifice half the labor. Second thing, prepared to fight. Prepared to fight. Verse 17, the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. At a moment's notice, they were ready to go. There was no false sense of security that there's no need to fight here. There was no sense of someone else is going to do the fight for me. They are prepared, ready to fight at a moment's notice. Third thing, listen to the warnings. Listen to the warnings. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. Talking physically about the giant wall they're building around the city. It is spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. If we're not paying attention to the warnings, if we're not paying attention to the alarms, we won't go running for the fight when it comes. We'll just wait for the enemy to win. Listen to the warnings. Listen to our conscience. Listen to people that love us enough to be brave enough to give us a tap on the shoulder. Listen to what the scriptures are saying that would give us a course correction. Listen to what uh, a podcast is saying. Listen to whatever it may be. But when a warning comes, when an alarm is sounded, pay attention, please. Don't just assume that the people fighting a little further down got this. Listen to the warning. Sacrifice half of the labor. Be prepared to fight and listen to the warnings. As I was putting my thoughts down to come and share with you, I started to think about what would it be like if we ignored the example of Nehemiah? So instead of sacrifice half of the labor, we focused on just build. Just build. And we've talked about already that that is, in my estimation, a giant red flag when there is a sole uh, concentration and determination to build and build and build. I've known there to be gatherings like we have at staff meeting where we come together and we pray for the different needs in the church and we worship together. And I've known that pastors will sit down and they'll just get their phones out and just work the whole time and answer emails the whole time instead of taking the time to gather together and worship and pray as a staff. That's only building, giant red flag. Second thing, instead of being prepared to fight, assume that you're not affected. Don't assume that moral failure will not happen to us. No matter how disciplined you are today, no matter how much temptation you've overcome, no matter what addictions have been broken in your life, please, 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 none of us will ever get to the point where we can confidently say, this will not happen to us. That is the equivalent of putting your sword down when it's supposed to be strapped to your side. That's the equivalent of you're propping up the wall with one hand and the other hand's supposed to have a weapon in and you just put that weapon down and put both hands on the wall. Don't assume you will not be affected. Here's a list of, from Galatians 5. I'm reading Galatians right now in my daily Bible reading. So if there's not something on this list that could apply to you, you're a way better person than I am. 
Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Now, if there's nothing on that list that applies to you, just remember this one from the book of James. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So that's the ultimate catch-all. I don't think there's any one of us brave enough to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 got that. Don't assume this will not happen to you, no matter how mature you are in faith, no matter how deep your love is for God, no matter what God has brought you through, no matter what temptations you fought and won. Please don't fall into the mistake of believing this will not happen to you. Third thing, the opposite. If we don't do what Nehemiah did, instead of listening to the warnings, we ignore the warnings. There's a trumpet blowing over there somewhere. Now, if it's in our immediate view, if the warning and the alarm is in our immediate view, it's harder, not necessarily impossible, but it's harder to ignore. But if it's down there somewhere, you know, maybe that was a trumpet. Maybe that was a warning. I'm getting off course. Maybe that was a conviction the Holy Spirit's trying to bring. Maybe that, you know, I guess that scripture could be applied to me, but now maybe not. If we ignore those warnings, we're opening ourselves wide up for the enemy to come in and do what he does best, and that is to destroy something good. If it's down there somewhere, if it's possibly for someone else, if, well, you know, yeah, I, I guess that could be for me. I don't see immediately how that's going to help anything, so I'm not going to give too much mind to that. If we ignore all these things, we are opening ourselves up for all kinds of problems we do not need to step into. If you pay attention and act decisively with the quiet trumpets that are further down the wall, the trumpet right in our face becomes easier to adjust to. Not simple, straightforward, done deal, but easier. If we pay attention to the quiet ones, the louder ones become easier to face. Okay, final things. I'm going to rattle off. I got a list of 10. These are 10 things. You would have heard some of these before. There's no rocket science in this. Final piece of advice. First thing, confess quickly. Confess quickly. You don't have to blast it on social media. You don't have to stand up in church on Sunday and tell everybody. But have a small group of people that you trust, that you know love you, that you know want God's best for you. You know that won't give you a final written of notice just because you admit that you messed up. But confess quickly to somebody that you trust, someone that you know loves you. Second thing, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Don't let things go on and on and on. Don't let negativity and bad habits build up. Keep short accounts. Third thing, listen to others' advice. The only shortcut in life that works is learning from other people's mistakes. It's the only one. Listen to the advice of others. If someone else is telling you, I did this, I went through this, I did this, this is how my story goes, this, and they're willing to share this with you, and we ignore that, it is absolute foolishness. Fourth thing, don't overestimate the importance of gifting. Don't overestimate the importance of gifting. There are many, many highly gifted church leaders who built great walls that came crumbling down very quickly because of lack of character. What was it worth when it's all laying in ruins? Awful to think about. But what is it worth when it has all come falling down? Fifth thing, there is no such thing as getting away with it. 
there is no such thing as getting away with it. Even if you don't get caught, it doesn't mean it all disappears. That lack of character, it doesn't mean that you've gotten away with it. It just means you didn't get caught in the way you thought you would. Guilt still hangs around. The past catches up with us. What is done in secret gets brought to light. There is no such thing as getting away with it. Sixth thing, grace is always there. Worth saying this, grace is always there. Grace is always there. God loves us. He is faithful to forgive all unrighteousness. There is second, third, fourth, or fifth chance. If we keep it buried, it's difficult to let grace do its thing. If we bring it to the Lord, if we adjust, confess, repent, move on, grace is there. And it's essential we do not forget that. Seventh thing, take responsibility for your peace. Maybe it is someone else's fault. Maybe there is someone else to blame in this. But what's your piece of responsibility? Take responsibility for your piece. And then 8, 9, and 10, repeating what we learned from Nehemiah. Sacrifice half of the labor. Make it a priority. Make it a priority. The apostles, when things were growing and things were going well in the early church and they were starting to become more and more effective, good wall was being built. They needed to start looking for other people to free them up to do what? Not be CEO of Wall Building International, but so they could spend more time in prayer and devoting to the word of the God. That's what it says. The apostles needed to recruit people so that they could spend more time in prayer, building this, that relationship with God. And by being on God, that's what they need to spend their time on. Great example from the apostles. Ninth thing, prepared to fight. Prepared to fight. Working with one hand, the other hand's got a sword ready to take care of business. Being on God. And the tenth thing, listen to the warnings. If there's a conviction, if the Holy Spirit speaking, if a scripture is bringing us a conviction, a holy conviction, something from a sermon, something from a podcast, something from advice from a friend, all that stuff, don't just brush it off. Take advice. Listen to the warnings. Lord, take something from this. Lord, help us learn from Nehemiah. Lord, that we would, uh, Lord, we would have the courage to fight, to be on guard. Lord, that we would want to, to build a wall, but we wouldn't be so consumed with the wall that we would ignore our character, we would ignore our integrity. But Lord, that we would be committed to, to spend time devoted to both. Lord, so that we can still be here 20, 30 years from now. Lord, and we can see a great work that you have been able to do through us. So Lord, we just ask that you take this, you use it. Lord, convict us where we need convicting. Pull us where we need to be pulled. And Lord, we, uh, we submit ourselves to you. We want to be men and women of character, men and women of integrity. And Lord, we believe that you will use people like that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.